Hi and welcome to this podcast from the Scottish Parliament. My name is Jerry and I'm in Committee Room 6, the day before this year's WordPress photo exhibition opens to the public here at Parliament. I'm joined today by Marika Kukrowski from the WordPress Photo Foundation. Marika, thanks for joining me today. Thanks so much for having me. Before we find out about the event, can you tell me about yourself and what you do at World Press Photo? Sure. So I am an exhibition manager and curator at World Press Photo. Um, so what that entails is basically we have an exhibitions department. Um, and uh, each year we host a contest, which I'll get into a little bit later. But uh, we create an exhibition with the winning photos. Um, and that's an exhibition that travels all around the world. Uh, so my job is managing that from our office in Amsterdam. And sometimes, like today, uh, we get to travel to install the exhibition and, um, yeah, engage with audiences, give tours, that kind of thing. Fantastic. Um, so you've indicated there, hinted a little bit at what World Press Photo actually is. Can you tell us a bit about the organization and, and, and what this competition is? So World Press Photo was started in 1955 um, and it was started by a group of Dutch photographers who already had a similar organization, but that was for Dutch photography. And they essentially had an idea to kind of open it up to the rest of the world um, with the aim of celebrating the best of visual journalism from a previous year. Um, so that's kind of evolved uh, into the most prestigious photo contest today. And this year, I think it's slightly different in terms of how the winners were picked. What is, what's different about this year's World Press Photo and, and how, that, how that process went? This year is indeed different, um, where we um, wanted to change things around a little bit um, to really emphasize the world of World Press Photo. Um, and that is basically to create a better geographic balance of the stories that we tell um, or show, rather. Um, and the way we did that was we divided the world into six different categories. So that's... Um, Asia, Africa, Europe, North and Central America, South America, and Southeast Asia and Oceania, all six. And um, photographers are asked to submit their work based on where the story was shot. Um, and then from those six regions, we have um, four different winners. So we have 24 winners in total. Uh, and this just ensures more, uh, like I said, balanced uh, representation of stories that are told. Because I suppose the exhibition doesn't just show like the winner, it, it's, it, it shows a wide range of different images across this competition. So do those 24 regional winners, if you like, do they get to be showcased in the exhibition? Yes. So we have, um, there's 24 regional winners and that will be um, from each different region. And then there's four different categories. So single, that's a single image. Story is up to 10 images. Long-term project, which is up to 30 images. And open format, which allows for uh, different mediums. Um, a still image still has to be kind of at the core of the project, but it can also include collages or videos. Um and so those are, yeah, the 24 regional winners. And of those 24, we have four kind of um, global or headline winners. Um, and those are the photo of the year, story of the year, long-term project of the year, and open format of the year. There's a huge amount, I suppose, of different approaches to photography and different approaches to telling stories and different stories that are included within that. So it's quite a variety. It's not just a photograph to be looked at. There's a huge 
different array of, of types of uh, images and, and like you're saying I saw earlier you know groups of images together that tell a story in the round and not just one snap I think which is quite important so yeah if, if um, people haven't seen an exhibition in the past it's definitely worthwhile seeing to see those different approaches mm. it's not just one photograph um, yeah yeah definitely I, from all those photographs this year were there any sort of themes that you saw that came out of it were there commonalities this year for the photographs for the 2022 competition that sort of stuck out to you or the, or the judges yes definitely so um well, first of all, uh, for the jury, they had a pretty difficult task because they had loads of images to uh, judge. So we had uh, just under 65,000 photos entered this year uh, by 4,066 photographers. Um, so quite a lot of work to, to, to judge. Um, and... Uh, well, they were able to obviously narrow that down to the 24 winners. Um, and of those stories, you do see a couple themes. Um, the first one is the uh, climate change and the climate crisis and its effect on the environment. So that's been kind of a recurring subject that we've that we've seen. Um, and that's including like forest fires, for example, and um, also how it's really affecting local communities. Um, the second one is a civic um, unrest and, and protest and people demonstrating. Um, there's a couple different photos and uh, single images and stories that touch on that. And lastly, I think one of the more prominent themes is um, uh, indigenous communities from all over the world. So from Canada to Brazil to Australia and um, kind of how they are, well, fighting for their rights um, and also how the rest of the world is kind of dealing with um, like a kind of reckoning of the past and how these communities have been historically treated. So um, there are quite some heavy stories as well. I'd imagine it must be quite challenging for the judges as well to look at all this material. If there's 65,000 photographs are covering topics that are, are like that and obviously ones that are probably even more weighty, more serious as well. Um, is there any... How do the judges deal with that? Is, it, is, it, is there a discussion around how to deal with that emotionally? or? Yeah, I mean, uh, it, it can be very, very heavy. Um, uh, the thing is with the, the judges are always, um, they're experts in the field. So they're either photographers themselves or um, photo desk editors, for example. So they're people that have probably seen images like this before in the past, but um, there's certainly that is taken to, into consideration and there are, uh, a lot of breaks because there's only so much that you can see within a span of time and there's so much material. So um, if someone is uncomfortable and, you know, they've been seeing too much, then then you have to stop the process and uh, carry on after a little a little pause. Even just the volume of the content, even if it's mm. if it's lighter or more serious, like to try and take that in and and evaluate it or, or fully engage with each of those images and the stories must, must just must be a challenge like I said even if they were all happy or if they were all you know pretty heavy it was still quite a big undertaking emotionally for anybody to yeah definitely and I, I think something that's important to emphasize too is that um, the speed at which the first few rounds are looked at is really it's really remarkable because obviously there's so many photos to go through and to ensure that we have really the highest quality visually of photos. The first round is just visual. So you're really seeing photos um, for two seconds at a time. Um, so there's a lot to look at. And you also have to take breaks, not only for the, the weight of the images, but with your eyes, because that's quite a lot to look at. 
I'm going to bring in an audio clip of an interview with Amber Bracken, who was one of the winners this year, um, and she talks about the power of photojournalism. So um, I think that there's long been an idea in journalism and in general, and specifically in photojournalism, that like one of the things that we do is, you know, I'm going to put air quotes because I find it kind of icky, but the idea of like giving voice to the voiceless and and I, I think a lot about that because there is a power in photojournalism um, where we, we occupy a certain space, we have access to certain platforms, we have the ability to um, ha- you know, have conversations or, or reach certain audiences. But I, I don't, I mean, every individual in this world has their own individual power. And I, I don't like the idea of saying that there's, there's something that I can bring to the conversation that they don't. I think that what photojournalism does is it's a, it's a different storytelling medium. And I think it accesses different emotions and different um, responses in people. So it's like um, the stories that I work on belong to the communities that I'm visiting. They belong to the people who are sharing them with me and they would matter whether or not I, I came. Um, but in, in all cases, you can tell a story with words, you can tell a story with pictures, you can do a video, um, you can do an audio podcast, um, or you could just have a conversation and they all sort of do different things. And so I think that the particular space that um, photojournalism occupies in that storytelling uh, spectrum is that it helps to bring in immediacy. So when you when you bring photojournalism to a story, there's like an, an immediacy in being able to show other people who may not be able to visit that community who people are and what these places are like. Um, I, so I think, you know, description is really valuable. It's really important, but it only goes so far in terms of um, activating our sense of immediacy that this is a place that matters these are people that matters i think that it like is like it forces a confrontation so um the way that i see it is really that photojournalism is a is a practice of service where you're figuring out how to bring you know beautiful pictures in service of other people's stories so it's just a way to help to um yeah bring some some visceral sense to things that could otherwise be a little bit esoteric, a little bit intellectual, a little bit remote. So we're, we're bringing an immediacy to some of those ideas. So that was Amber. She said that photojournalism is a process of service, as she described it, to make you know immediate that which could otherwise be a bit remote. What do you think about the power of images to make perhaps complex, difficult issues more more concrete, more real for people? The first thing that comes to mind is um, social media and scrolling on our phones. Um, And we're just inundated with images daily. Um, And we see so much. And I think um, sometimes that can be quite overwhelming, but it also has the power to really catch our attention. So there could be a photo that I think... um, yeah, we'll just do that, catch our attention, and then we learn about it because we're interested and we want to find out more. Like, what is this image? For example, Amber Bracken's, um, maybe it's not obvious um, to the average person, you know, whoever's looking at it, what's taking place. So I think it can kind of um, hopefully pull people in to learn more about something that they may have not otherwise um, read a a long article about, for example. Uh, And 
along with that, I kind of think that by visualizing it literally, I think you create like a better understanding of maybe a different, um, different part of the world or different people that you haven't met before or haven't encountered before. And um, I think it's just perhaps maybe more easier to do it this way. There's something I think also about, I mean, we all look at images, most of the photographs we all look at every day will be on our phones to some degree. Um, but to have a photograph not on your phone, to, to look at an image which has been curated, has been picked, has been has been created very intentionally, put together very intentionally, and picked for you to look at very intentionally, has got a very different weight, you know, than just seeing an image scroll by. So I would definitely recommend, yeah, as you, as you're saying, at, at the WPP exhibition, seeing photographs that have been specifically placed there for you to to have a reaction to and to interpret properly, and, and not to just scroll past. Yeah, I think. Um, I mean, we. We definitely encourage people to come in to see the exhibition because it is a different experience. You really slow down and you engage with the content in a completely different way. Um, I think also, of course, on our screens, that can be quite distracting. Um, so if you're coming to see the exhibition, uh, there's a lot more intention behind it. You're reading all the captions. Um, also this year, uh, we're very excited to offer an audio tour that accompanies the um, the, the whole exhibition where you hear the photographers in their own voices talking about their stories. So I think it's a really powerful addition as well. Next up, I want to bring in another WPP winner, uh, Lalo Dalmida, talking about the risks that photojournalists take on in their work, in his case, working in the Amazon. Honestly, uh, I always felt that threat. I mean, uh, if you look in the Amazonian history, uh, a lot of like... Uh, um, journalists, uh, like um, nature um, defenders, defenders, how, how do you say, the people who, who, who defend the natures, they are activists, they are always being murdered in the Amazon. I don't know if you heard about Chico Mendes, he was a very important leader, uh, he was murdered in the 80s, then uh, a missionary, Dorothy Stang, uh, American missionary working in the Amazon, very important, she was murdered in the 90s. So this is the history of the Amazon. Um, it, wa it was always hard to work there. It's dangerous, but uh, with Bolsonaro, the things got worse. Now I get some measures that I didn't uh, was doing before. Like, uh, you know, I, I, I leave to my wife and uh, the, um, all my itinerary, all the contacts mm -hmm. everywhere. Uh, you know, a lot of things that Many years ago, I, I wasn't doing this. I'm more worried. Now I have uh, satellite communications, uh, you know, all, all these kind of measures that, you know, helps to, to feel more secure. And now that the journalist and the anthropologist died, I was asking for the newspaper, you see, you have no idea what's going on in the Amazon. What, what kind of risks? We, we, we are uh, taking in the, in the Amazon. And say, oh, really? We didn't know. How you didn't know? The Amazon was always like this. So I know with Bolsonaro, it's getting worse. It's true. But it was always dangerous. So I feel very, I, you know, all the measures, I, security measures, I did by myself. So, uh, yeah, I don't have support from any organization and uh, I, I, I need to, to make my own, own uh, way of uh, come back safe to, to, my, to my home. That's the, the main goal of my, my trip. 
come back safe. As we heard there, it sounds like photography can be quite a dangerous uh, business. What sort of risks do modern photojournalists take in their work? And does the WPP recognise that as part of its judging process? Yeah, in this case, it is, it's actually very scary um, to think of these risks. Also, um, I think very recently, uh, two journalists uh, were killed while covering a story in the Amazon. So that that's exactly it. It is extremely dangerous. Uh, in terms of the risks, this is definitely something that the jury takes into consideration when they are um, judging the photos. So obviously, it's not just the the story that's being covered, but it is also important to know uh, the lengths that the photographer has gone to. Uh, in the past, we've had uh, photographers um, submit works that were taken on their iPhone um, because it's too dangerous to be holding a camera in a certain setting. So that's definitely taken into consideration. Um, and then this year's exhibition, we also have a story about Myanmar and the photographer remains anonymous. So that's just simply as for their own safety. Moving on to something a bit more positive after um, you know, hearing about the seriousness that obviously the photography, um, the competition can capture and can reward. Um, when we're thinking about World Press Photo, like, I think in the past I've thought about it as you know, very serious stuff. I've just heard there about the Amazon, you know, moments of tension and, and drama sort of captured. But there's also like a positive hopeful side um, to WPP and um, photojournalism in general. Um, do you think photography can capture a positive message as effectively as it does capture, you know, those more serious moments? Yes, definitely. Um, so I think historically that has been the case that there's been a lot of um, conflict photography and a lot of graphic images and those, of course, are very important photos. But I think it's also important to recognize the power that um, photography can have in showing a different side of things, um, what we call constructive journalism. So there's an example in this year's exhibition with um, a story by Matthew Abbott, an Australian photographer. Um, and it's about um, Aboriginal communities uh, in Australia called the Nawardikin community, uh, who are using a technique called cool burning, where they basically set fires at certain times of day, also at certain seasons, um, to prevent further, more destructive fires from taking place. So it sounds pretty counterintuitive, but it works. It's been something that they've been doing, this community has been doing for thousands of years. Um, and today they also uh, use modern day technologies like helicopters, for example, to help um, help them with these techniques like throwing fires from a helicopter uh, to prevent these more destructive ones, like I was saying. But the reason that this story really stood out to the jury and why it was selected is because these people are shown as active agents and creating a solution to, um, well, not necessarily a solution, but working towards one um, in climate change. And they're not shown in a stereotypical way as they may have previously been um, yeah, in Australia. So it's a really powerful image, not only a powerful story, not only because of the climate aspect, but really how these people are portrayed. And that kind of representation is huge, hugely important. Yeah, capturing a people sort of um, at a high moment, at a moment of, of control and exerting, you know, power and authority in, in the spaces mm, that they, that they yeah. understand as opposed to sort of, yeah, s suffering some crime and dignity or, or whatever. And um, you've spoken about the selection process for the winners, um, the, the judging panel sort of 
that takes part in that and picks from 56,000 entries. That's a huge amount. But ultimately, we've got to this point now with all with, with these winners. Are there any that you'd like to highlight that is of particular interest to you in this year's competition, either your favourite or something that you found particularly interesting? Yeah, definitely. It's pretty difficult, but I feel... Um, well, maybe one that I'd like to highlight, um, this is kind of maybe an invitation to visitors to come and have a look and see if they can spot the fake news story. So there is a story uh, by Jonas Bendingsen, a Norwegian photographer. Um, the title of the project is called The Book of Velis. And this project is, well, it takes place in a small town uh, of Velis, which is in North Macedonia, uh, which gains quite some uh, international attention with the um, lead up to the election campaign of, of Trump a few years ago, uh, where there were a lot of fake news websites created in this town, Velis. Uh, and this kind of prompted uh, Jonas Bendixson to uh, investigate a little bit more because he became quite interested in this. So he traveled there, took photos of the landscape of Velis, and went home and basically taught himself how to make um, computer renderings and insert fake people, fake objects, um, funny little details uh, into this project, into these into these images. And by looking at them, you would just think that it's um, an interesting way of portraying Velis and it's kind of this dark and dreary looking town. Um, but in actuality, it's like a lot of fake everything. So it's... Um, a story about fake news, which is fake news, which sounds totally abstract. And what I will say is that this could only happen for the open format category, which is what this was entered as, because all other categories are um, checked in final rounds for any manipulation. So um, we can ensure total accuracy and make sure that these stories are trustworthy. But with this one, I think it's uh, hugely important because the message is that it's so easy to create fake news and disseminate it. And we all really need to be critical about what we're looking at. Those photographs are fantastic. I walked past them earlier and didn't think twice that they were they were um, mm -hmm. generated in that way until you explained it. And it's uh, yes, yeah, that's a fascinating series of images. If you come to Parliament to see it, they're definitely worth a look or trying to find it first before you before you look at them. Yeah. So finally, WPP is a fantastic exhibition. Uh, Marika, how would people get to see it? Yeah, so um, it's free for everyone to come and visit it at the Scot Scottish Parliament uh, until August twenty seventh. So I encourage as many people as possible to come and have a look. Marika Kakrowski, Exhibitions Manager and Curator or Press Photo, thanks for your time today. Thank you so much.